comes from John 21 verses 1 to 14. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come, have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, church. It's good to be with you again. This week, we're finishing our series that we've been following along with in the last number of weeks about being called to change. These last few weeks, we've recalled some moments in the lives of the disciples who followed Jesus, and we've seen how Jesus speaks into their lives, challenging them and encouraging them and always preparing them for the road that is ahead. And we've sought to apply those lessons to our lives as well, acknowledging that we too are disciples of Jesus for whom faith is a better posture than fear, who have things to offer even when and if we're not yet fully formed, who can be confident in knowing the way even when we're unsure of our destination, for whom empty religiosity holds no interests, and among whom jealousy pride and rage give way to gentleness and kindness. The scripture reading that we heard to together today is the beginning of the final chapter of John's gospel, and it offers a glimpse into one of the final lessons and challenges that Jesus offers to his friends while he is bodily present among them. The disciples in this story have gone home. No longer in Jerusalem, they have returned to the Sea of Galilee, where at least four of them first met Jesus. 
Not only have they returned home, but led by Simon Peter, they have decided to go fishing. And we might ask, why? Why have they decided to go fishing? They've just encountered the risen Lord Jesus twice in Jerusalem, and now they've gone home to fish. We might remember words of Jesus like, no one who sets their hand to the plow and looks back is worthy of the kingdom of God. And we might ask, is this not the disciples looking back, going back to their former lives and their old ways? Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with the disciples going fishing. Perhaps they were hungry and needed food. Maybe they needed funds to continue their ministry. But there's something a little bit off here. It's not quite that they've deserted the gospel. But there's something all too familiar about the lives they're returning to. And as we'll see later in John's gospel, if you read the rest of the chapter, Peter himself needs to be restored to Jesus, reconciled with Jesus, forgiven of these things. And so there seems to be something slightly off as they're going back to their lives of fishing. We might remember that they'd return to Galilee having been told by Jesus that he would meet them there. But when they arrived, what were they to do? Jesus hadn't appeared yet. So without clear instructions from their teacher, it seems that old habits die hard. What are fishermen going to do, after all, except fish? What a very familiar story. I know this in my life all too well. Even in simple things, like when I have a moment of undirected time or a few minutes that I'm not sure what to do with, how quickly I check social media for the millionth time that day and aimlessly refresh the page or reload the feed, even when I know that there's not going to be anything new. And this isn't just my habit with social media but it's something that we see in so many areas of our lives and of our life of following Jesus as well. We all have ways of thinking and ways of being that become our default. And while we're waiting for God to show up again, we may quickly find ourselves returning to those old ways. And those old ways may be fine, but they are unlikely to be the fullness of the better thing that Jesus desires for us to participate in, that in fact embodies those changes and invitations that our God has already offered to us. This is also true of our church. God has been calling us to be a people who are following Jesus, loving the city and serving the world for all of our long history together. Now, we haven't always put it in precisely those terms, but from the Duchess Street Mission to Evangel Hall, from the Baraka Club to the Knox Youth Dinner and Food Bank, we are a people who love this city. And from the commissioning of the Goforths to China in 1888, or in more recent years, the Elliots to Japan or Hanukkah to Tanzania, we are a church that knows deep in our bones that we are called to serve the world. But we're also a Presbyterian church. And for all of the good that I genuinely believe that that means, it also means that we have some default habits together, that we're prone toward politics and politicking, that we're prone toward structures, and we're especially fond of the past and cautious about the future. 
We have some things that we're familiar with, and with no senior minister to fill our pulpit, and with a moment's rest, take stock, we may, if we are not careful, find ourselves like these fishermen do, returning to the work, whatever it is for good or for ill, that we do when we've got nothing better to fill our time with, making ourselves busy with something when we should just be waiting for Jesus. I say that the disciples should just be waiting for Jesus because that was the purpose of their trip to Galilee. And as much as they may enjoy fishing or enjoy the way that it passes the time, they don't seem to be particularly good at it. Fishing at night is thought to be when all the good fishing happened on the Sea of Galilee. And for the second time that we see these disciples doing this task, they don't catch a thing. The disciples, in fact, never catch any fish in the Gospels without Jesus' help. It seems they still have not learned the deep truth that apart from Jesus, they can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. A hard lesson to learn, but an important one. Because this is, in fact, the central change of becoming a disciple of Jesus. That we are no longer our own. That we no longer delude ourselves into believing that self-reliance was ever a thing. And we become sheep in the flock of the Good Shepherd, in whom we will lack nothing. How many things are we doing as a church and in our lives at home, at work, and in our wider communities just because we do them, just because they've always been done, or even because Jesus once told us to do them and so we might as well continue? Are we seeing the fruit of those labors? Or are we at least being assured that there will be fruit in our labors? Or has our work become fruitless, laborious, even a curse? As the psalmist wrote, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. And as Jesus reminded his friends, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Are we remaining in Jesus in our work? Or are we finding that our labors are in vain? After a disappointing evening in the boat, Jesus appears on the shore of the sea and he calls out to the disciples, Friends, don't you have any fish? No, they reply. This was the expected reply. And Jesus says to cast their net on the right side of the boat. A familiar instruction. An instruction that reminds us, perhaps, of when Simon Peter, as well as James and John, were first called to Jesus in Luke's gospel account. But this familiar instruction is not the thing that actually helps the disciples realize that the man on the shore is the Lord. No, they only realize it is Jesus when they are unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. These disciples, they recognize Jesus not through his word, 
but from the abundance that came through obedience to the word. In Luke's gospel, when this miracle happens the first time, Peter's response to Jesus is that Jesus should go away from him because he is a sinful man. But now, at the conclusion of John's gospel, and after three years of following Jesus, when this miracle happens again, Peter now puts on his clothing and jumps into the water, swimming toward the Lord, desiring to be close to him. In Luke's gospel, the nets begin to break, and in fact, two different boats begin to sink because of the great quantity of fish. But in this post-resurrection miracle, the net holds and is successfully towed to the shore. I believe that each of these distinctions offers us clues to help us understand this story, to understand why it is repeated, this miracle in this way, and the purpose of Jesus' instructions to his disciples that day. I think the key for understanding this sudden parallel story and also the differences between those two miracles is remembering that when Simon Peter was first called to be Jesus' follower, Jesus said to Peter, follow me and I will make you fishers for people. In becoming a disciple of Jesus, Jesus promised to make Peter a new thing. No longer a fisherman, but soon to fish for people. And now at the conclusion of Jesus' earthly ministry, in one of the last moments he has with his disciples, Jesus affirms the completion of that work. Notice the great multitude of fish. 153 large fish, John says. This specificity has inspired many hypotheses from biblical scholars and commentators. The early church who first received and interpreted these texts regularly viewed this number and the size of this catch as a concrete reminder of the call on these disciples. No longer fishermen, now fishers of men. That the size of the catch was a symbol for the impact of the gospel and the reach of the gospel itself. Using this same symbolism then, they highlight that the net not breaking, the boat not sinking, are reminders of the enduring nature of the church itself. That having been so trained by the Lord, the disciples are now prepared to do the work which is before them. That Jesus has in fact fulfilled that promise he first made to them. They are now fishers of people. And this episode serves to reinforce that change in their mind, to solidify it in their hearts. Their lives are not in the sea or in nets or in fish anymore. Their lives are now caught up in the work of God's kingdom. In this second miraculous catch of fish, Jesus is calling the disciples forward into a season of ministry that is ahead of them by reminding them of their original call to follow him. What a beautiful and encouraging image that Jesus not only calls us to change, but when we slip back into old habits or when we find ourselves doing work that isn't fruitful, perhaps because we've been toiling alone again, that God will choose to show up, that the Lord will appear and remind us of the thing to which we have been called.
of moments of our past which have prepared us for what lies ahead. When we mistakenly believe that our primary work is banking or studying, law or teaching math, plumbing or working machinery or anything else, that Jesus can use even those things to remind us of the greater work we have been called to in and for God's coming kingdom. What we see here is that Jesus will retell our own story to us in a way that we can understand it, that we can see it for what it truly is, that we can remember the ways we have been uniquely made to participate in the continued revelation of God's kingdom on earth. I wonder how Jesus would retell Knox's story to us. In these days when we may be tempted to fear change or the future again, or when we may be prone to fall back into old habits as a church, how does Jesus call to us What stories of our past might he recount to us or even reprise for us to embolden us, to remind us of our unique calling to this city and for this time, and to position us for more complete and full participation in the fruitful work which is ahead of us as a community? I think the most beautiful thing in this moment with the disciples, honestly isn't even the fish, but it's what happens with the fish. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Before his death, Jesus loved and served his friends. And after his resurrection, Jesus remains unchanged in character. He isn't now too good to cook breakfast for these men, but happily he continues to serve them. Our God is unchanging in love and friendship toward us. And as we are called to change, it is only insofar as that we become more like Jesus himself. And so, having prepared breakfast for his friends, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. The barbecue was already started, Fish were already cooked, but Jesus desires that the disciples would participate in preparing this meal. Do you see how much better it is that they have fish to bring with them as well? This, I believe, is the very image of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is here. It is at hand. God has prepared the wedding feast of the Lamb, and one day it will be on earth as it is in heaven. But wouldn't it be lovely if you could bring some of the fish that you'd caught along the way as well? If we could all contribute what we have to the good thing that God has already begun. Our skills, our unique talents, our unique stories and perspectives, the things that we're good at. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could bring those things with us? into the kingdom that our Lord has already built. Truly, it is the work of partnering with Jesus in the work that he has already started that is the greatest joy of the Christian life. 
And it is in that work in which we will find the most success and satisfaction. Jesus has a meal ready for his friends. He desires to eat with them, but also that they would know the goodness of contributing to the work which is only just beginning. When the disciples fall back into old patterns of living, Jesus reminds them of the better thing that is prepared for them, that apart from him, they can do nothing, but with him, they can participate in the very things of the kingdom of God. May we, too, remember how we have been called by our Lord to follow him, to become like him, and to participate in the work that he is doing all around us, if only we would have eyes to see it. In our lives and by our prayers, may God's kingdom come. Amen. We'd like to give you a couple of minutes to chat with the people who are near you, maybe even to answer these questions in the live chat on YouTube, or to journal about them, or to pray about them. So the first question we have for you is, what old habits, practices, or familiar routines do you sometimes fall into that are not what Jesus has called you to? And the second question is, how is Jesus inviting you or inviting our church to participate in something that he has already started. So we'll give you just a couple of minutes to begin reflecting on these things, and I hope you'll carry those reflections with you through the week. Good morning. It is Black History Month. It is Lunar New Year's. It is Valentine's Day. Lent starts this month. Whatever is causing you to pause and reflect or celebrate this month, we are so grateful you've made time to join us this morning in our worship of the God that we love. You have found yourself at Knox Church's live stream. Our faith community is one that is following Jesus, loving the city, and serving the world. So wherever you are in your journey, you are so welcome here with us. And if you'd like to reach out this week with some questions about Knox or maybe about Jesus, about 
maybe just somebody to talk to or pray with or in any kind of need, please don't be shy. There's a form below this video and there's a link that's just across the page right now. Fill out a few details and a pastor will be in touch with you shortly. Part of our worship, we love to give from the gifts, especially financial gifts that we've been given. And we just believe that God has blessed us with to be generous with like him. So if you'd like to make a donation today, the details are on the screen and below this video. You can text GIVE to 647-931-3570 or you can visit knoxtoronto.org GIVE for more options. Now Lent begins this week. That is the church's season before our big Easter celebrations. And through Lent, Christians around the world often make more room in their days to pray, fast, meet with Jesus through Bible reading, increase their giving to those in need. Now we mark the beginning of Lent with a time of worship and the imposition of ashes. And this year, we'll gather over Zoom. 